Questions are asked to discover information. Questions are asked to find out the facts. The who, the what, the when, the where, the how, all deal with an external list of information and cause and effect. But then there is a different question, a question that that slows you down, a question that dives beneath the surface, a question that can tackle the deeper issues of motivation, of inspiration, and even of transformation. Whether the question is posed by someone in the matrix by the name of Smith who goes to Anderson, or between a parent and a child, the question of why cuts through the clutter and the glitter. It goes beyond outcomes and is lodged deep within reason itself. For the individual, it speaks of thinking and emotion. For the organisation, the collective, it speaks of the reason for its very existence. So today, we delve into one of the most important questions of all, the question of why. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us that is showed in such tangible ways through your life, through your death, through your resurrection, through your invitation to us to be a part of your family. Jesus, as we delve into your word, inspired by the Spirit of God, would you quicken in us a realisation of your love, but also of our call to respond to you today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Looking at the question of why can provide insight into meaning, into existence, into motivation. It can shape and transform the who, the what, the when, the where and the how. And while a parent might respond to a child's 15th time of asking why with the almighty trump card of because I said so. Today, we look at the question of, for Northern Community of why. For us as Christians of why. Why do we do what we do? Knowing the answer to this question can help us get clarity it can help us when we're faced with different life choices. It can provide confidence to us in our decisions when tough times come. Some 2,000 years ago, Peter and John were being questioned by religious leaders of the day. And we pick up their situation in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Earlier on that day, Peter and John went to the temple to participate in the 3 p.m. prayer time. It was customary that those who were crippled, that were lame, would spend time at the temple in various locations, at various entrances or paths along the way, collecting alms from those that were going for worship. Good Jews and good converts to Judaism would see almsgiving as an important way, an important act of honouring God. Peter and John, their pockets were empty. They had no money to give them. 
So out of concern for one of the beggars' requests for money, Peter healed the man in Jesus' name and through the authority given by Jesus to his followers. In a context of formality, dancing and leaping and praising God drew the attention of everyone around. Peter took the opportunity to give glory to God for their actions and gave witness to what had happened in this man's life, a life that had been transformed by the good news of Jesus. God's grace, Peter invited those who were um, hearing his message, um, Peter invited them to engage with God's grace and experience that firsthand. Then we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. While Peter and John were speaking to the other people, they were confronted by the priests and the captain of the temple guard and some, sad, some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. And so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we have done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the power, powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special um, training in the scriptures. They also recognised them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chambers and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter 
And John replied, Do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Within a few months from that first Easter, a small group of followers of Jesus, around the same number of the um, number that we have here at Northern uh, as, as our spiritual home, faithfully followed Jesus and took the call of Jesus seriously. In chapter 2, we read of them being committed to being transformed by the Spirit of God as followers of Jesus, learning how to live out the realities of a faith-filled life. A group the size of Northern committed to caring for the poor and the marginalised. In chapter 3, they committed to entering into broken and hurting situations and stories of life in order to bring about the God's good news of hope and help. As a result, a man held captive by his past and present could look forward to a better future. The once crippled man's life is being transformed by two followers of Jesus. And when the news got out, Peter called for a faith response. People believed because of Peter and John's commitment to be a blessing in their world locally and that would ripple out and become a global impact that still affects lives today. I wonder if you can imagine what it must have been like what must have been going on in the minds of Peter and John over those two days? Starting off going to the temple to pray and ending up in jail for helping someone out. And then they're called to stand before the council. Annas, the retiring high priest. Caiaphas, the incoming high priest. And there was John and Alexander and other relatives of the high priest. Others were there, ready to interrogate Peter and John. These men who called, on, um, called Peter and John to give an account were the same ones who interrogated Jesus while Peter and John were waiting in the wings only just a few months earlier. On the last occasion, when, um, when uh, Peter was questioned by a servant girl, he crumbled into a heap and denied even knowing Jesus. And then the council conspired to send Jesus to his death. And now, there's Peter in a similar position. Before the same council who call, also co could call for their execution... They did it to Jesus and Peter had no doubt that they could do it to him and John as well. Around 30 years after this interrogation, Peter writes to a group of Christians who are experiencing persecution in Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey. In 1 Peter 
chapter 3, verses 13 to 16, Peter reflects on the, those events as he writes. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about, the hope as, uh, about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Here is Peter and John suffering for doing good, being threatened by the same Jewish council that successfully conspired to crucify Jesus. This is not some nice quote that Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3 that, um, that you would see in a, a, on a t-shirt or printed on a mug in some Christian bookshop. Peter has skin in the game. He's speaking from a knee-knocking experience, looking at the, at the same people who interrogated Jesus. Their eyes are now staring at him. Why, Peter? Why? Why do you do what you do? Why are you prepared to make yourself a target for the haters? Those who, threatened, uh, the, those who are threatened by the loss of power or influence, those deniers of the resurrection of Jesus. Why, Peter? Why? Because Peter is committed to bringing glory to God through how he lives. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And when people start asking questions about why you do what you do, this hope that you have, even interrogating you, Peter knew what it was like to have the Holy Spirit brood over him, well up in him, and help him with his response, being ready to explain in a gentle in a respectful way, keeping his conscience clear. Acts 4 verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we have done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me state clearly to all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the Jewish council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary, they were common, they were pedestrian, run-of-the-mill men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognised that these men had been with Jesus. 
Peter and John and the followers of Jesus in Acts 1 to 4. They were committed to bringing glory to God by the way that they lived. And even when the pressure was on, when there was um, all this interrogation that was happening in their life, when there was threats of violence against them, there was a readiness to explain their hope in the resurrected Jesus, God's only Messiah and Saviour. This was more than something that happened in their church gatherings. They were committed to living a life well. And through the way they lived, they wanted to bring glory to God. Peter was respectful to those who called him to give an account. In verse 8, he says, rulers and elders of our people. He could have called them all sorts of names. He could have called down curses upon them. The council were amazed. They didn't see arrogance. Peter seeing himself as being more important or better than them. But there was boldness. Boldness for Peter. Boldness is recognising that even though you're not better, even though you're not smarter or stronger or more important, that, that you're still going to stand up and be counted. That if you get knocked down, you'll pick yourself up again and again and again. And you'll stand firm in your convictions that do not fall, even if you do. Today, we can be tricked into thinking that worship is something that we do on Sundays. But bringing glory to God is so much more. As the verses that Mary de Bono read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So eat your meals heartily, not worrying about what others say about you. You're eating to the, uh, God's glory, after all, not to please them. As a matter of fact, do everything that way, heartily and freely to God's glory. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Absolutely. When we come to church together as a church family, our heart's desire is to bring glory to God. But our commitment is more than that. Our commitment is to bring glory to God through the way that we live. Our desire is to live life well as followers of Jesus, being transformed by the Holy Spirit in our commitment to enter into the mess of life with actions and words of God's good news, being committed to the poor and the marginalised, being committed to those that are held captive by their past and their present so that they can have a better future being committed to be a blessing to the world around us. And in those times of commitment, there will be times when we will come under pressure from those in the world around us. We'll come under pressure to compromise, to change our views, to change our position on stuff, to give up, give in from family, friends, from those in authority over us, to conform to perform. But a life committed to bringing glory to God is a whole of life response. How we behave in public, in private, on social media, 
when people are watching us and when their eyes are away from us, when the pressure is on and when it's not, we are committed, we are committed to bringing glory to God by the way that we live. And when we get this right, and even when we get this wrong, we don't try and cover it up. If you mess up, fess up. Unlike the minders, we believe that God's love, not a high-vis jacket, covers a multitude of sins. As a church family, individually and collectively, we are committed to being transformed by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God as followers of Jesus. We are committed to entering into broken and hurting situations and stories of life in order to bring God's good news of hope and help. We are committed to caring for the poor and the marginalised, those that get lost in the cracks and in the crevices of life. We are committed to um, support those who are held captive by their past and their present because we believe that in Jesus they can have a better future. We are committed to being a blessing in our world locally and globally. But why? Why do we do it? Why do we do all these things? To make a name for ourselves? We are committed to do these things because we want to bring glory to God through the way we live. Not just on Sunday, but in all the way we live. Because living a life well through our commitments brings glory to God. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for the depth of your love for us. We thank you for the transformative power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. That he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Holy Spirit, we recognise that we're a work in progress. That you're not done with us yet. And we ask that as we continue on this journey of life with you, that you would help us to live life well. And that through our commitment to live life well as a follower of Jesus, that our life lived will live out glory to you. To you, our wonderful God. Would you continue to do a good work in us? Would you continue to do a good work through us so that the communities in which you have placed us would be transformed by the good news of Jesus? Amen. So how might we respond today? Well, there's a few questions that I wanted to pose to us. What are the areas in life where you mess up in giving glory to God? We all have them. It's just a part of the reality of our, our brokenness and our process of being restored. Offer a prayer asking for God's loving forgiveness and his enabling for us to do better. How might your lifestyle choices help bring glory to God? And when people see and um, spend time with us, do they recognise that we are followers of Jesus? 
I encourage you to take some time to pull up those response cards or for those at home to, to use the chat function and to respond to the things that God's saying to you today. So music will be played and then after that I'll invite us to sing again. God bless you. Thank you.